starting to be a busy time for me. Uh, we basketball started up a couple weeks ago now, or this past week actually. Sorry, this past week, and uh, so with coaching and the boys playing. But I don't know. I was just in a spot where I was praying. You know, since Pastor John asked me to teach, I've been praying and you know just thinking about what to do. T- um, to teach on today and um, it was Wednesday night I walked up to the house after work and um, I uh, I don't know why but I just said to uh, think Caleb and Josiah were around and Melissa and I'm like what should I teach on this weekend what should I teach on this weekend of course the boys were like eh, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> Well, Melissa, Melissa came through. Um, she said this phrase, this world is not our home. And it comes from a song from a group, uh, I forget which group, but um, that she's been listening to. And um, so I'm like, huh, that's, a, that's, that's good, that's great. So after dinner Wednesday night, I came down to church uh, before church service, and I just started looking up some things and it just all kind of fell together so um, it's God's work always in our lives um, so this world is not our home I brought a prop don't usually have props but um, a globe our globe so we homeschool so like any good classroom we have a globe <laughs> but I don't know if that's true so much anymore if in uh in the classrooms around in the schools, but I mean, growing up, you always had a globe in your classroom, especially if it was a history teacher or something like that. Um, but growing up, also, like I, I love globes and I love maps. Um, it was just something that I liked to do. You know, we didn't have GPS back in the day, and so you know, family road trips. I would get the atlas, I'd have the atlas, and just, you know, kind of seeing where you are, seeing where we're going, seeing what's around. Um, but maps always uh, fascinated me. But of course, the globe um, representing our world, you know, mapped out uh, between, you know, the hemispheres, the, uh, the equator, the countries, the continents, um, just everything kind of mapped out here and um, you know it's amazing that you know the creator of all things our Lord you know created this this world that we live in um, so that we could live here and ideally you know live in and through him but of course sin came into the world and the curse of sin came into the world and and things changed and the world changed and the world continues to change and and we've seen it come so far away from uh, what God had ideally created it for for us to be in that perfect relationship with our Lord that communion that um that fellowship and family 
in our Lord Jesus Christ. But of course we have that if we're believers. And so the main text that I'm going to go through today is just a few verses, but I'm going to expand on it. Um, but I do, the world is not our home from Hebrews 1, 13 through 16. And this is Hebrews 11, of course, is the chapter of the heroes of faith. And this is towards, you know, the end of that. And, you know, it talks about Abraham and, and all the heroes of the faith um, from the Old Testament in that first section of Hebrews 11. And we have in Hebrews 11, 13, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You know, this world truly is not our home. It's not our final place. There's a place greater, a place above that we are destined to be if we are believers in Jesus Christ. And the first section of this says they all died in faith, right? They all died in faith, and that's the key to that entrance, that ticket, and it's free because faith is free. Because the grace of Jesus Christ is free. And that through him we are saved. We seek that future promise. As, they, as Hebrews 13 tells us. Not having received the promises yet. But having seen them afar off. We're assured them. So it's the truth. It's a sure hope. It's not. I hope we have pizza tonight. <laughs> it's that sure hope that is not able to be turned or transformed or denied that we have in Jesus Christ as our Savior, as that grace was poured out from the cross. That sure hope, seeing them from afar off, we're assured of them, embrace them. You know, that embracing of Christ, embracing of all that he has for us, salvation and the abundant life that we can live through him. And they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. You know, we're just passing through. We're passing through this life to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. They're passing through and if truly if they had called to mind the country from they came out from, they would not have they would have had that opportunity to turn. But now they desire better. You know, we look back often, don't we, on our life and and sometimes um, you know, that's okay to look back, 
but it's not okay to desire, um, you know, an old life from previous times when we have our life in Christ now and we look forward to eternity um, with God forevermore. Now they desire that a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to call them, to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You know, Jerusalem's in the news, right? It's, um, scripture describes it as a stumbling block to the nations. And we have that actively um, now, right here and now in our time. But there's going to be a new Jerusalem. And that's what this is talking about. You know, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The Lord is preparing us a place for us to live eternity glorifying him, being together in him and with each other, in communion and fellowship forever in that heavenly scene. Hebrews 13, 14 tells us, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. And that is that new Jerusalem. Revelation 21, 9 through 27 describes this new Jerusalem. And what an awesome word picture this is. I love how scripture just paints us these pictures. And this is one of them where it's just very descriptive and very um, illustrative of what we will see one day. Revelation 21, 9 tells us, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and the names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Verse 13, Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city is laid out in a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are all equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of man, that is of an angel. The construction of its wall of jasper, the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third Chalcedony, the fourth Emerald, the fifth Sardox, the sixth Sardius, and the seventh 
chrysolithe, the eighth beryl, and the ninth topaz, and the tenth chrysoprase, um, and the eleventh jasnith, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each interval gate was one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Yes, it is exclusive. Heaven is exclusive. It's for those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. The world does not like that. That that is an exclusive statement. That there is only salvation through Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that. They hate it. <laughs> they hate that. That Jesus is the only way. Because they want it their way. They want to be justified in their own works, in their own beliefs, truly in their own lies. That the truth is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except through me. It talks about that the Lamb is its light. The glory of God illuminated this city. Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. It is exclusive. Because our Lord is pure. God is pure, he is holy, he is separated from the sin of this world. And the only way that that can be remedied was for Jesus to come and die on the cross and to take that punishment for us, to restore that relationship between man and God if you will accept his sacrifice in your place, if you will believe on Jesus Christ for salvation, for all who call on the name of Jesus shall be saved. That's the way to heaven. That's the way to be able to enter the new Jerusalem. To see the streets of gold as crystal. I mean, just imagine, the, I mean, reading through the description, all these precious stones, these giant pearls are of gates. 
I mean, this, the structure of it would be amazing to see. But something even greater is there. Our Lord, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He is its light. He is our light. He is our Savior, our God. So how do we get there? We forsake this world and embrace Jesus. What profit in this world? Matthew 16, 24 through 28 tells us, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, there's those are rhetorical questions. Because there is nothing that we can give. We can't exchange by ourselves for our soul. Even if we gain the whole world, it would mean nothing if we lost our soul. Because, but God, but God, because, verse 27, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each one according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. May we, lose, may we hold loosely to the things of this world and have our treasure in heaven. I like the, I think it was a billboard with a hearse and a trailer with a bunch of stuff on it. And it said, basic, I believe it said, you know, you can't take it with you. So let's desire the things of God. So we have to come to that new birth. And Jesus was talking in John 3, 1 through 21, he was talking um, to Nicodemus. Often people kid and say he was Nick at night because he came to Jesus. And uh, in the nighttime, he didn't come to him in the daytime. Kind of snuck, snuck around to get to Jesus. Probably didn't want the other Pharisees to uh, to see him. But he asked Jesus, uh, I mean, a very important question. And he starts in verse 2, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so Jesus answered him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot come he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
So Jesus tells us we have to be born again. And Nicodemus asks, like many of us maybe have asked in our life, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You know, he didn't understand exactly what he meant. He went to physical, to the physical. Jesus was talking about the spiritual. And Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That is which born of flesh is flesh, and that is what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it. But you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and testify, what we have seen, and you do not believe. How will you tell? Sorry. Sorry, I got lost. Uh, verse 11, Most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. So Jesus is saying, you're, you know these things. You're a teacher of the, of the law. You know the scriptures. But you don't, and we testify of them in what you have seen. I mean, he said, I mean, Nicodemus said, you know, nobody can do the things that you did unless they are of God. And you do not receive our witness. And Jesus continues in verse 12, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to the heaven, but he who comes down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven, talking about himself, and as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so Jesus talks about and relates the cross that he is going to, to the serpent being lifted up in the wilderness. So as the Israelites were in the wilderness and God sent vipers um, to, to them and they many died because of the poisonous snakes. In verse in Numbers chapter 21 verse 9 it says, So Moses made a bronze serpent according to God's instruction and put it on a pole so was, if a certain had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze servant, he lived. And so this is a picture of the salvation that God gave us through Jesus Christ. Jesus was lifted up on the cross as the bronze servant was lifted up in the middle of the camp. That anybody who was bitten by the serpents were, could look. All they had to do is look at the bronze servant and they would live. I wonder how many were stubborn. Oh, that can't be. If I just look at this bronze serpent, I'm going to live? How many in this world who know the truth, who have heard the truth of Jesus Christ, that whoever shall believe it 
and the name of Jesus shall be saved. How? It can't be, right? Like I said, it can't be that exclusive. It can't. There's other ways. I, I'm a good person. How many perish because they won't look to Christ? That they won't surrender their life to Christ? He was truly lifted up for our salvation, for the forgiveness of sin, for all who would believe. Now we often quote John 3.16, but I like that it's more than just John 3.16 in this in this section of scripture. I mean, what we just read, I mean, it kind of, John 16, John 3.16 kind of begins in 15, because he says that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then he expands on that in verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then he continues in 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We talked about it earlier. God created this world Ideally, for us to live and be in that right relationship with God. But then sin happened. Adam and Eve sinned, and the curse came upon this world. But God, he who believes in him, is not condemned, but he who does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Verse 18. Now back in 17. God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. God desires all to come to salvation all to come, to be able to enter that new Jerusalem, to be in his glory, to worship him for eternity. That is what we are made for. Verse 19 continues and says, And this is the, com and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because our deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. And a lot, you know, if you're thinking about your house and where you live and, you know, you think about how to, you know, protect your place and, you know, one of the things that they always recommend is what? Lights, right? <laughs> to have lights because... Most deeds are done in the darkness, right? So the darker it is, the easier for someone to approach and do what they want to do. But they want to stay away from the light because they don't want to be seen, they don't want to be identified. And so the same spiritually. When someone who is in darkness is exposed to light, oftentimes they will retreat from it. 
because they don't want to be confronted. They don't want to acknowledge that there is truth, that there is a God who stands in righteous judgment. But he also stands with his arms open to receive all who come to faith in and through Jesus Christ. For verse 21 in John 3 tells us, But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. That's how we should be living, in the light of Jesus Christ, clearly being seen, that we're living a life in and through God, glorifying Him in all our actions. And as we are saved, and as we walk this life, we need to look to put our treasure in heaven. In Matthew 6, 19-21 tells us, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So may our hearts be in Christ and that we're seeking God's riches at Christ's expense, God's grace, His mercy, His love. And we're laying up treasures in heaven. That that is our destination and where we will be for eternity. John 12, 25-26 expands on this and says, He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. So how are we to live in this life? We're to be ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us a ministry of reconciliation. I mean, how awesome is that, how that works, that we are reconciled to Christ through Jesus Christ through God, through Jesus Christ. And that we are to go and be ministers of reconciliation to this world. That Christ through us would affect others that we come upon, that we preach Christ to, that we give Christ to, that we love in Christ, that they too could be reconciled to God and come to faith and build up their treasure in heaven. So who, now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us that ministry of reconciliation, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, 
not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I mean, that's just a beautiful passage of scripture showing that salvation and reconciliation between us and God and that God is pleading through us, his disciples, his sons and daughters here on earth, that God would use us, that we would have that privilege to minister in Christ's name to others. Pleading, that God is pleading to this world, to those that we come in contact, that they would be reconciled to him. Because of Christ, for he who made him, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that the righteousness of God in him would be in us. It's not gonna it's not easy. God never said this life will be easy. Because he talks about how the world hates him, how the how the world hates believers. And John fifteen, eighteen through nineteen tells us that the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So if Jesus is hated now, should we expect any less that we would be hated by some? If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. What is Satan's goal? Satan's goal is to attract followers to himself and distract the followers of Jesus Christ so that they're not effective. And so we will receive those attacks. We will have people outright hate us. And we see it being portrayed in Israel right now that you know Israel even though many do not believe or not even practice um, Judaism at this time let alone believe that Jesus is the Savior but God still has them as a people apart and because they have represented God, throughout the centuries, you know, the world hates them. I mean, there's parts of the world that is calling for their destruction to be wiped from the face of the earth. Now, there's always going to be that element until this 
until there's a new earth and a new heaven and we are in Christ for eternity. And so we pray. We pray for our, as Jesus said, we should pray for our enemies. We pray that they would come for salvation. We pray for that the Jews would come to salvation. We pray that those that we know who don't believe will come to salvation. That those we know who have backslidden from the faith will be renewed in the strength of Christ. We pray for ourselves, for each other, that we would be encouraged and stand strong in the face of this world. John 17, 20 through 26 is part of the high priestly prayer of Jesus. This is the section he prays for us. He prays for us. Not He already prayed for the disciples of that time. But he prays for us specifically, all those who are to come after the disciples. In John 17, 20, he says, I do not pray for these alone, talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Hey, that's us. That they also may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And that the glory which you gave me I give them. That they may be one just as we are one. So unity. I in them and you in me. That they may be made perfect in one. That the world may know that you have sent me. And have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also who you gave me may be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What a prayer that Jesus declares for us. He desires that we would be in one in unity just as he and the Father are one united. And that the world would know through us that Jesus loved us and loves them. Yet we know that each day we are closer to the return of Jesus Christ. That we are closer to that day that we'll be at the wedding supper. That the bride, the church of Jesus Christ will arise and go to be with the groom, Jesus what a feast that will be. And we know that this world is passing away. First John 2, 15-17 tells us, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the, Father, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, 
and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Abide. We get to go and live with our Lord, with our God, our our Father, our Savior, forever. This world truly is passing away. And so we look to Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So we just finished Hebrews 11, which is the chapter of the heroes of faith. And so 12 begins with this statement. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, since we have all these awesome examples of faith, let us aside, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. So let's lay that aside, get rid of it, toss it, and then let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Jesus is waiting to greet us with open arms. But we're not done here. Yes, this world is passing away. But we're not done here yet. We look forward to that day that we will be with him forever. But in the meantime, may we be about being ministers of Jesus Christ, being ambassadors for Christ, having the aroma of Christ in our life, loving others for Christ, allowing God to plead through us to those who are without that they too can be reconciled to God. May we reach out to those who are lost while looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, knowing that our redemption draws near. Our hope is in the Lord. As the worship team comes I found this hymn the hymn is from 1937 I think it's the earliest date I found but it's called This World Is Not Our Home I just wanted to read through it This world is not my home I am just passing through My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. O Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, 
and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. They're all expecting me, and that's one thing I know. My Savior pardoned me, and now I onward go. I know he'll take me through and through. I am weak and poor, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I have a loving Savior up in glory land. I don't expect to stop until I with him stand. He's waiting now for me and heaven's open door. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Just up in glory land, we'll live eternally. The saints on every hand are shouting victory. Their songs of sweetest praise drift back from heaven's shore. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Albert E. Broomley was the author. This world truly is not our home. We have a better designation. May we go forth and live in light of that, in the light of Christ. And Lord, we pray that this world would be reconciled to you. Let us go forth and be ambassadors for Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may his face shine upon you each day. Amen.